0: Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast for adults. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. This is our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Don't forget to stop by our webpage, for information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com Cassie will introduce today's guest.
1: On this week's show, we bring Corporate Muscle and his first ever Kinky Cast. This lean, mean beating machine discusses how exactly he became Corporate Muscle and how he broke into the local scene. He sheds light on sadomasochism, what it is and isn't, and what it means to be a sadist, where his dominance, sadism, and love have lead him, and how to embrace self-discovery and promoting a healthy work, life, and kink. Here's your host, Woody.
0: Thanks, Max and Cassie. Welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Online with me from Omaha, Nebraska is Corporate Muscle. How are you this evening?
1: I'm well. Thank you for, for having me on the show. I've been a listener for a while. As we were discussing just a little bit before the show, some friends of mine have been on here. That's actually how I found your show first off, was them saying that they were on this podcast and follow that rabbit hole and you've had some great content. i'm honored to be on here
0: thank you so much the reason you're on here tonight is you have an interesting twist on poly going on we all talk about the polyamory and romantic families and relationships you've taken poly a little bit different path you have a a full-time partner that you're with but then you have opened it up to a poly friends thing
1: that's, that's correct. We've had a handful of people ask about that. If you're in a poly family, and I think the heaviness of that through the poly community can maybe sometimes seem more than it is, but we have a core group of friends, so CF and myself, I'm pretty sure most of the listeners are aware of our relationship, and then we have two other couples that we do many things with, some kink things, and then even vanilla things. We're going to go over there and have dinner with our kids. And one of our friends joked and said, That's Polly, right? You love your friends. You have this relationship. We look out for each other. And so it almost started as, I don't want to say a joke, but it was pretty lighthearted. But then it grew into that. And so, as a, I don't know, maybe as a gesture of solidarity, we all threw it up on FET just to make it official. I don't know that it's Polly, Polly Amory, in the way that some people are going to see that and think about it. But the way you care for your friends is maybe different than the way you care for your loved one, but it doesn't make it not love.
0: A couple of weeks ago, we had a show where we were laying out the word love and how different languages have multiple words for love, whether it's sisterly love, friend love, or romantic partner love. In this case, it's poly, it's amory, it's love, but what? it's a different type of love than you'd have for your partner.
1: That's right. That's right. And I think I grew up in a family, you know, it's funny as we talk about, you know, King can BDSM, you often get broken people from broken homes. And I don't think that's always true. I grew up in a completely nuclear family, totally normal. My mother is now dead, but my parents were always together and we were a hugging family. And before you left and when you arrived, it was always, I love you. I think being able to say that to your friends is good. If it's some guy and you're not comfortable with it, do an I love you, and Punch each other in the shoulder. Maybe that'll make it okay for you if you're, uh, if you're a little weird about that. But I think it's a good gesture. And I think it can grow the depth of your relationship with people to something that a lot of people will miss out on if they don't open themselves up to that.
0: Sometimes masculine toxicity gets in and prevents us from having close relationships with other males.
1: That's right. That's right. God forbid someone view you as anything, but like a straight cis hetero male.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You'll be chastised for that. Yeah, Oh no. I have a lot of close friends that I do say I love for decades. And it's a wonderful thing. And to me, they are my chosen family as opposed to my given family.
1: Exactly right. And we've had that conversation amongst our friends. Some of our friends did not have that great family or the family that they were born into maybe did things or said things that did just split them up. But when you get a chance to start again and choose the family that you have, I think that's a gift and you're going to fight in a family. We have, you're going to support each other as a family. And we have, and it's nice to have that.
0: There is something to say about a chosen family. I have a blood family that I don't care much about.
1: <laughs> I figure in this community, I'm sure the story has been told many times to where that individual finally comes out or is found out that they do the things that we do or they like the things that we like. And that blood family may or may not be very receptive or forgiving of that. So here, Life being one of them, here in Omaha, we have this community. You've got A family that you can build that will support you and is okay with that. And it's probably part of the community too. And I think if you have that support as an individual, your personal growth can be amplified by those that you surround yourself with.
0: Unicorn Husbandry and Rainbow Kitten have been on the show numerous times in the Omaha community there. Tell me a little bit more about what goes on in Omaha.
1: (laughs) The short story would be not much, not much. And I think there's an ongoing joke on the fact that it seems that the, the per capita ratio of sadists in Omaha is higher than most other cities. There seems to be a few of us roaming around. I'm not really sure why that is. Omaha is, I would say it's a small town. It's definitely one of the smaller big cities out there. It's a conservative town, so not exactly a safe town to even be anything other than a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. That's not always been my experience, but I do know that if you're not careful with who you are in certain places, it can cause some people to chastise you. So I'm not sure if that's kept the community small or relatively quiet. For instance, we don't have a dedicated club. Maybe if you go to Seattle or Portland or New York City or Chicago, even some friends in Kansas City talk about a club that they have where they can just go whether it's a swingers club or whether it's a, a kink club, we have a roving traveling club that a venue is rented about once a month. Guy takes his own time, does it, puts it up. I'm very thankful for it. But after the club night is done, it disappears and it comes back the next month. It's definitely great. That's where the community gathers. That's what Omaha ultimately has. I think what I've found is much like with Unicorn Husbandry, myself and my poly family, as much of what we do ends up being in private homes. and Maybe that's not dissimilar to people that are in big cities, but there's not a whole lot of other options. Some of us are considering looking into growing some of those opportunities. I don't know how fruitful that will be, and it's just in its infancy of talking about it. But I think if we could give the people in Omaha a place to spread their wings or plant their roots in a more solid kink community, I think there's a need, definitely. And I think that there could be an interest that could go from there.
0: How big a city in population is Omaha? I would say it's just shy of about 500,000 people.
1: So we've got most of the amenities that you'd want, but if you look around, we don't have a professional sports team. We joked before the call, there's no beaches, there's no mountains, not a lot to do. If you come to Omaha, apparently you're going to come for the kink and the sadism, but what you really probably come for is the Henry Dorley Zoo, the College World Series, and the good food. And a lot of corn. Yeah, yeah. If you go west of Omaha you quickly get out of city and start to get into farmland. It's here in Omaha, then you have the river, you have Council Bluffs in Iowa, and those are the two metropolis areas. And if you travel too far away from those, it it gets pretty rural pretty
0: fast. I was kidding with you before we started recording that we're in the central stranded time zone. Yep. If you're traveling east or west on I-80, it can get
1: pretty boring. I hope you have a friend, something to do while you're taking that drive.
0: Years ago, I uh, drove up from Denver and... Came up to Interstate 80 and headed toward Omaha. And boy, I saw a lot of corn as high as the elephant's eye.
1: Yep. And there's not a whole lot else to do. I will say, I got to stick up for my little town here. The people are pretty nice. When I was a younger gentleman, and when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I dated a girl from Hawaii. And there is a huge Hawaiian faction that goes to Creighton, one of the colleges here in Omaha. And I remember asking them, why, right? Why not? California or anywhere that doesn't snow, you're Hawaiians. And they said, one, Creighton's a good professional school. If you're going to live in Hawaii, you're either going to be poor, where you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a dentist in Creighton's professional school. But the determining factor was, is that Ohana, that nice kind of family atmosphere that's in Hawaii is closely replicated, apparently in Omaha. Interesting. Although some of us are mean sadists, I guess
0: the bulk of us are kind individuals. Let's talk about corporate muscle. How long have you been in the kink business? (laughs) The kink business, the business of kink.
1: I've been in and out of the kink lifestyle probably since I first started college. I've been on FetLife, I think, for two, just over two years, two and a half years. I can't remember when it was. Not very long, but not so much in high school. It was not revealed to me because I was in such a small town, went to college though. And the first girl that I dated was this... Beautiful five foot 11, half French girl, apparently liberated by her mother. And for some reason she chose to date me. I don't know why she made that mistake, but I took full advantage of it. A couple of dates happen. We go back to my college dorm room and she says, what do you like to do? And of course I'm 18 years old What I like to, I, I would like to have sex with any woman that would say yes at this point. Right? So I don't know what to say. So I answer the question of the question and I say, what do you like to do? And she tells me, and so we do that and she wasn't kidding. She really liked to do it. So basically, I did the BDSM kink version of color by her numbers. We just did the things she wanted to do and the sex she wanted to have. I found out that was very effective at pleasing her. And it was also a great time. It wasn't anything crazy, hair pulling, choking, face slapping, spanking, things like that, but that's how it starts and that's how your eyes open. And then through the years of college, I got to explore that a little bit more. Get older. I grow up in in a gym community. I run a gym for about five years. That community is a little bit more free-spirited, superficial, definitely hedonistic, and I'm exposed to a little bit more of the lifestyle there. After that, I get married a couple times, mostly doing mostly a vanilla relationship. We'll just make that the boring part of the conversation. In between those marriages, I explore the kink lifestyle a little bit more, find out more about what I like. In one of those relationships, I ran across a girl that, again, from the gym, was more of a masochist than I had ever met at that point. There was actually a scene that we were doing. By this time, I actually know it's called a scene, and it's not just some kinky sex. During the scene, I have this internal dialogue because it's gotten to an intensity level that I actually had not been to before, but she's okay with it. Like I'm not unaccustomed to this, but I have to check in with myself because at this point, it's so far from sexual that it's left what I've been used to before. It is now just sadism, it is just sadomasochism. There's only pain, there's only beating. And I had to check in myself, say, are you okay with this? Are you this person? And I probably discovered then that yes, I am. And so that individual kind of raised my bar and exposed to me that like, it was okay to go there, at least with someone else that would like to go there. We were talking about some individuals that are maybe polarizing before we started this call. And I think sometimes people see sadism or the marks and the pain. And you just, you get these people, even well-meaning people that leave comments like, how can you do that to someone you love? Or how can you endure that? Why do you let them mark your body like that? And I think those are people that maybe, maybe their heart's in the right place. I'll try to give them the benefit of the doubt and they don't mean poorly, but I don't think that they fully understand some of the, I don't know, the inroads to that. They haven't fully unpacked that. And I suppose you really can't. I've had a conversation with an individual who's ex would not do the sadism that they wanted. They said to their husband at the time, I want you to beat me. And their husband looked at them like they were crazy I'm not going to do that. I don't hit people. And I remember thinking to myself, like, why your wife just do it. Your wife just wants you to hit her. It was actually CF that said, she was like, of course you said that you're a sadist. Like, of course, that's the first thing that comes to your mind. It doesn't occur to you that that's not maybe what somebody would do. And so I, I think that juncture in my road could have happened. And I could have said to myself, look, this is far too much. I'm not comfortable with this." And then maybe I travel a different path. But there, I discovered I was okay with it. And uh, from there, it obviously got a little bit deeper, got a little bit darker, and and that's a lot of what people see on Fet today.
0: Let's break that down for a minute. To the average vanilla person, they peer into your world and they see you beating the crap out of a woman—purely <laughs> abuse. Right. Abuse is in the eye of the beholder. That's right. And so we have to say. Consensual beatings that you understand what's going to go on, they understand what's going to go on. That is BDSM, BD, sadism, masochism. It's all in the letters there. I want to ask everybody to step back on their judgment of these activities. Anybody that's been around BDSM for a while knows how it works, but there is also the thought police out there that comes and says, You don't have the right to beat somebody.
1: That's right. I've had this conversation with a friend of ours that we share, Damon Dames, to where a lot of times people see, you see somebody in a very deep or a strict MS relationship or a very intense sadomasochism relationship, it looks as if, let's call it a woman in my instance, since that's how it's set up, or the individual receiving the beatings or the slave that are being intensely mastered. It seems maybe unfair or like that they wouldn't like that. But I think individuals don't give that person or that woman enough credit, they truly showed up to that relationship and said, I want this. Give me this. They are taking away the credit of that person, the intelligence of that person to say, I've chosen, this This is what I want. I think it's unfair to rob them of that power. In the same way that a woman could stand up and say, I want to do anything. I don't want that. I believe she should be able to say that. She should be able to say, here, I give you this. I turn this over to you. I want you to do these abhorrent things to me that most people will see it and shirk from. And I I think that's maybe where some people can put themselves in check because there will still be things that I see unfed that I don't want to do. I may not be into it, but the great thing about that is I can just scroll on by. Heck, I could block the person and completely remove it from my feed forever. You get to curate that feed.
0: That is an important word right there. It's the old people that say, I don't like that content on television. Why do you watch it? That's right. You have a channel changer and you have an on-off switch. That's right. If you don't like what's going on and the people are fully engaged in it consensually, then maybe it's none of your business. You don't
1: necessarily have to cheer for them, but in the same vein, you don't have to cheer against them. There was an interesting effect that happened, I want to say maybe a year ago, when I got on a that's actually how I met CF and that's maybe a, another story for another time. It was just a perv, right? You just want to you want to you want to see things that you don't normally get to see, you want to meet other like-minded individuals, and as a sadist, I wanted to get ideas from other people that had gone before me. There's just no way you can know all the things and then you see these great just evil minds doing these creative things and you get to borrow from them. I mean, it's amazing. After CF and I met and we grew our relationship and we found a connection that is unlike anything I've ever had that has been built established, and driven deeper through that BDSM. And I think over the year, in almost two years, people started to understand our relationship better, knew how close we were, knew how deep that was. We had a scene, it ended up being called the red light scene. It was in my garage, aka dungeon, if that's what you want to call it. And I had a craving for a very bloody scene, which is why we kept the red lights on, because under the red light, can't see the blood and then the fat police won't shut you down they won't push it to friends only it was an intense scene there was a lot of pain there was a lot of crying i think most people no matter how they feel about me they like cf she is one of the sweetest people i've ever met in my life she is a genuinely good soul and i think when people see her crying you got some broken hearts there like how can you do that to them but i think this entire scene that came out in six part series, which was quite accidental, I had an outpouring of messages from people. It was relieving. It was refreshing. I think we had people that would normally say, how can you do that to such a sweet woman? Now saying, I see now with the connection and the care and the protracted way that you do things, like things are on purpose. And they saw that it wasn't just Let's beat this person until they just cry and it's over to try to equate it to maybe what others understand is it's like a sexual experience, right? There is a buildup, there is foreplay, there is a lead up. You don't just want the quickie where it's just slam, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Maybe somebody out there does want that, but that's not what you want. Maybe out of every BDSM.
0: Right. And that's not BDSM. That's just fucking. Yeah. (laughs) Which I suppose if
1: that's your goal, great. But many times for what we're doing, that's not what we're chasing.
0: I think one of the things that goes into what you were talking about there is you didn't have anger in that scene. Correct. Quite the opposite, the polar opposite. Both of you were on endorphin highs. You were all just having a wonderful scene as opposed to abuse.
1: I'm just not okay with that. In fact, that's, that would be, maybe not to give too much, my previous career before I existed in this corporate world, I was a police officer. So I ran into and apprehended the domestic violence people. And those, I should say individuals, it is predominantly men, but there are women that do it, are not people that are looking for a fair fight. They're looking for power and control in an unhealthy way. They're finding someone weaker and just taking advantage of them so that they then can feel that power. With what we do, it is completely the opposite. CF, or the individual that I do that with, says, this is what I want. It could be, literally, this is what I want, it gets me off. Or it could be, I want to give this to you. I will suffer for you. Yes, this is hard for me, but I want to do that. And if ever it gets to the point where they have to stop or can stop, you do. And it's that agreement. It's that dance that the two of you do. Again, you don't just crescendo straight to the finish within five minutes. Could any sadist break any masochist within a couple minutes? Absolutely. You know, you, you hit them with a baseball bat across the knee. Look, they're done. Like, that, that's not what sadomasochism is. That's just a beating. I think what a lot of people saw during that, that Red Light series is that there's a little bit more of an art to it, and there's a whole lot of love to it. At least in what CF and I do. Obviously, not every beat SM scene is love. There is some topping. There is some bottoming. There's service tops. There's service sados, And I know that's all there to it. But what they all have in common is there, there is an agreed-upon engagement. Right. We will do this, even if it's just a rough framework. And you enter into that, and the both of you do what you're supposed to do. And if any of you cries wolf or cries red, that's where it stops. And I think a lot of people maybe forget that because they just see the pain or they just see the blood and they just see the tears. And that normally you see that and you want to help that person. You want to stop that pain because you're, you're not a monster.
0: Within your Omaha community, I imagine that you have seen predatorial behavior.
1: I'm sure that's not just this community. I think when you get someone of that mindset that says I get to assert that power and control on these poor saps that like it, they see this opportunity to do that and take advantage of those that are looking for that. I think a relatively experienced masochist or anybody that's been in the lifestyle for a while is usually able to suss that out. There are the times. You just can't, you can't see it. And somebody ends up playing in a private space and something goes too far. Maybe it wasn't explained good enough by the masochist. More often than not, I think that is the job at the top or the sadist, however that works, but yes, that predatorial behavior. We've had conversations about this, even just the Dom sub dynamic. I think a lot of, it's typically men or male identifying people that will say, Hey, if I show up as a Dom. These quote unquote weak submissives will just do whatever I say, because they don't understand the lifestyle and they don't get it. That often the sub is not too weak or too dumb or too desperate. It's that's not why they're submitting. Hell, they could be a CEO running lives of 200 people all day. But at the end of it, they're like, you know what? I'd like to give that up to somebody that I trust enough or that is worthy enough to run the show for me because I'm sick of doing it. Right. And to get
0: the catharsis out of it.
1: That's right. That's right. And I can appreciate that. in the job that I do, I'm not a CEO, quite, but I do run that show all day and have people answer to me all day. And after a while, I could see where that would weigh you down to be Nice to turn it over. Unfortunately, I probably am too much control for each other to turn that over. But don't get me wrong, when I come home, it's very nice to be taken care of by a wonderful, loving, caring woman. And I just turn my day over to her and she says, sir, what do you need? That is its own little, like, here, you're going to be in charge for a while so that I can just not be.
0: I had one of my slaves years ago said, what would you like, sir? And I said, I would like you to please me, whether it's bring me a drink, whether it's fix me a meal, whether it's to give me a blowjob, whatever it is, just please me. I am tired of thinking. I don't want to have to give you an instruction list, one thing after another. I want you to do it.
1: That's one of the nice things about having an established relationship once you've been there for a while. In the same way in a scene, I can probably read CF, whether it's too much or too little without her even saying a word. I can come home and she will just know. But she knows the things I want. She knows my preferences. She knows how I like my drink. And Fitz, it's very funny you're bringing this up because just today we were talking about like one of the simple things. like What do you need if you had a hard day? But coming home to her and that award-winning smile of her and that warmth and that almost that joy that she puts off just from seeing me can change a day just right there. And then, you know, she'll see it on me and she'll just take over because we've been together for now for over two years. She just knows, like, I don't have to give her a list of things to do. There's the basics that she just knows will always work. If there was anything specific, I'm an adult and I can ask for it, but you're right on some nights like that. You're just like, I don't want to be in charge. I don't want, want to have to. So just do what you know is best because you and I function on that level.
0: Earlier, you mentioned you're a police officer. Let's talk about police and BDSM for a second. Your co-officers, did they know anything about BDSM? That's a good
1: question. And the funny thing is cops right now are under a lot of scrutiny, but I think you could say this about any profession is cops are just people. So in the same way that I was the cop that was doing some wild, weird, kinky stuff, there was also the kid that you know, he was probably a virgin until he got married, right? Like he's been as sheltered as he possibly could. So it takes all types. I will tell you, as a police officer, you get exposed to life very quickly, often the worst parts of life very quickly. So you'll see some things. But honestly, in my five years, the interaction or the times that I ever ran across anybody that was kinky and I would know what to look for was rare. And I th- think that speaks to the kink community. Typically having their shit together. They're not going to draw attention to that kind of behavior because they know that it's going to be looked at with a certain level of scrutiny. But there were a couple calls that you could see some things that were going on. But if they're not drawing attention to it, then you're not going to ask about it. Now, if you were going to ask me about the legalities of kink and sadomasochism, I'd probably back away from that and just say, I'm not a lawyer. Also, I haven't been a cop for about 10 years, so I'm probably pretty removed from it. But I can say that while I was an officer, I almost never crossed paths with kinky people, and I think that's just because they don't break the law, they don't draw attention to themselves, and I think that says they probably have healthy consensual relationships that the cops don't get called about.
0: That's more than you can say for domestic abuse.
1: (laughs) Call the cops a lot. That's right. That's right. We used to say that about 80% of our work was the 20% of the same people.
0: Wow. So much going on. So corporate muscle where did that come from
1: i get asked that a lot it came from basically the two parts of my life i work in my job is in a corporate environment it's i work in an office and we sell a commodity all along the food chain but that is up to and including a licensing and enterprise level which is easily north of six figures and that is the world that i live in i've worked my way up through this i was a salesman by trade when i started but now I sit in a vice president role and when the negotiations get to that level, that's when I come in. And so the joke was <clears throat> my team, basically you don't get the president because he's running the company. So when the negotiations got a little bit hotter, they would joke and say, go get the muscle. And that was me. I have done sales and negotiations since the time I was 18. So the craft comes naturally and I, I suppose I'm relatively good at it. I'm compensated for it. And so that's where it and then. Also, I, I spend a fair amount of time in the gym. I owned and ran a gym for five years and I've just, that's always been, if I'm not a worker with my family, I'll be in the gym. And so the corporate muscle just evolved because it seems I'm typically either in a suit or in gym clothes.
0: That makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> now, CF stands for what? Confectioner fire. There must be a story there. I'll
1: piece this together and I don't think she'll be too mad if I get it wrong. Most that, if I remember right. I think she had a friend that used to call her Sugar Tits. But when she got unfet, Sugar Tits was taken. There's probably Sugar Tits 281 or so many Sugar Tits up there. But <coughs> Confectioner Fire was not. And I will tell you that, that woman can bake and cook like nobody's business. It spawned from basically Sugar Tits was taken. So Confectioner Fire, that's where that came from.
0: Oh, <coughs> sure. There's parts of that thing, but that's the parts that I remember. So she bakes and cooks. That means you have to go to the gym a lot.
1: Yeah. Yes. I am well fed. She will downplay it if anybody ever talks to her and she'll say, "Oh, it's just not that good. But there's never a meal that she's made that isn't. It's not just like good. Typically it's remarkable. In fact, I think one of the first meals, she asked me what I like to eat. And of course I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy, right? And I'm from the Midwest. And she said, well, how about some beef bourguignon? And I frankly was like, I've never had that. I barely know what that is and she made it steak, it's mushrooms. She added bacon for God's sakes and I had it and it was just amazing. And I must've just raved about it to anybody that would listen because in our group of friends, of course, I told them all. And so one of our friends had a birthday and she said, would you make that beef bourguignon that you made for CM? And she's oh boy, I hope I can replicate it. And so that night we actually had a lot of friends over and they all partook and it was just as amazing as the first time. So yeah, she's, she's good in that kitchen. I'm well fed. She's a keeper. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of things that I want for. I I remind her of that often. I tell her on the vanilla front, she's good. On the kink front, she's good. She jokes and says her dowry skills are strong and I I have to agree with her.
0: Corporate Muscle, thank you for being on the cast tonight. You're a light in the great Midwest. (laughs) (laughs) Keep up the great work. Let's make sure that we remind everybody that everything we've talked about tonight is consensual. Being a good BDSM citizen is important because we don't want to mess up this wonderful thing we have going on. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: We will talk to you soon.
1: All right, thank you again for having
0: me. It was a pleasure. You have been listening to The Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. Views expressed are not representative of the management of The Kinky Cast. And we welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our kinky crew, I'm Max.